Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be here. I think it's been five and a half years since I uh, spoke here last time. And uh, my name is Brian Johnson, uh, and I work as Director of Church Planning with the Midwest Conference. And last time I was here and I spoke, we were talking about why we start new churches. And it was all very theoretical, you know, it's like someday in the future, maybe First Covenant and the churches are only going to be part of planting a new church. Well, today I'm here with Pastor Kath, and we're going to tag team. We don't know how this is going to go, so uh, (laughs) it it should be fun, though. And uh, things have gotten very non-theoretical suddenly, right? I'm real. You are real. And I'm here. God has been answering the prayers and the desires uh, as we seek to multiply churches. And so Pastor Kath, over the last year, has been, uh, actually, we were introduced in January, mm-hmm. and Pastor Kath has been called, assessed, trained, and moved to Lincoln to plant Beacon Covenant Church. So we're very excited about this. Um, I'm also uh, glad that um, I just got back from sabbatical a week ago, so I'm really sympathizing with Pastor Evan this morning and, and just that wonderful time away and reentry and, and new thoughts. Um, I'm traveling with my wife, Cheryl, today, and um, just a word about us as I set up this text today. We were married, uh, we, we just celebrated 40 years anniversary on, on my sabbatical, so um, yes, it's... it's, it's it's been a wonderful time. Uh, we were married as teenagers a long time ago. We were both legal age, but we were very young. And we didn't wait long to start a family. And uh, by the time we were 25 years old, we had three small children. And the first years of our marriage, we realized this about 10 years ago, that we wouldn't have had to do it the way we did it. But they were very chaotic. Like, uh, I was in school, we were both working to keep food on the table, and then we had these three young kids who seemed to need stuff, like uh, all the time. Every day they needed stuff from us. You know, if they were hungry, we had to feed them. If they got sick, we had to care for them. Um, Every year they needed shoes and clothes when they went off to school, and then if they got involved in sports or music at at, uh, school, we like had to pay for stuff. And it was ridiculous. It really was. And then when they hit adolescence, you know what happens, right? Your car insurance goes up, um, your anxiety increases, your sleep decreases. Um, but then, one day, our kids, one by one, begin to leave home. And we came to this day when we realized, man, our house is really quiet and clean. And, and it's like, this is awesome. Our calendar wasn't nearly as full. We had more money in our bank account. And we'd become what they call empty nesters. Any of you understand what empty nesting is? Oh, yeah, there's a few happy faces out there. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, this is the greatest thing that was ever invented, is, is empty nesting. So with our three kids off on their own, now I want you to listen to this because I'm, this is going to set up something I'm going to touch on before we're done. With our three kids off on their own, life was just calmer. We were in control again, right? For the first time in our married life, Cheryl and I realized that we could finally do what we wanted to do. When we wanted to do it. So if we wanted to take a motorcycle trip, guess what? We just 
took off. If we wanted to go out and eat, we didn't have three nagging little kids telling us where they didn't want to eat. We could go where we wanted to eat. That hit too close to home, I'm sorry. <laughs> if we wanted a romantic evening at home, whole house was ours. Um, this empty nesting is a little bit addictive because when you are in an empty nest, when you're a parent whose kids have moved out, you don't have to worry about quite as many people. Now, a parent's always a parent. I understand that. We understand that. Um, but the emptiness allows us to focus more on us. And uh, it allows me to focus more on one of my favorite persons, me. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, let's just be real. Um, so with that brief setup, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I appreciate it being read for us as we began this morning. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Ephesus to remind us that he has rescued us from the power of sin and darkness through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, and that God's plan through that death and resurrection is to make known his love and wisdom through the church to the world around us, and to be uh, to make this church, which is his body of Christ, this reconciling presence and force in the world today. We are part of his body. And so uh, just to, to, I want to just look at the, the verses that preceded our text this morning, beginning at verse 7 of Ephesians 4, and it says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. No, so this word grace is the word we get gifts from, right? So gifts have been given as Christ apportioned it. This is what it says. When he ascended on high, he's quoting Psalm 68, um, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And Paul is using imagery uh, here in Psalm 68 to paint Jesus as a victorious conqueror. You know, in Roman times, the conqueror would go out and they would, they would conquer an enemy and then they would take the plunder and bring it back amidst great fanfare and celebration and distribute this plunder, these gifts, to the people. And Jesus uh, is... After defeating the powers of sin and darkness on the cross, he returns home to present gifts to his people, the church. Now, what are these gifts? Look at, uh, again, in Ephesians uh, 4.11. So Christ gave the apostles, there's one, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors or shepherds, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, complete, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, Amen. Paul describes how many gifts? Five. Five gifts here. These are five functions that Jesus gave the church if the church is going to be mature and, and, and live out its complete calling and so that it can be built up and that we can be built up and become mature. So some of these gifts are familiar to us and some of these you're going to resonate with. So, for instance, teachers. How many of you have the gift of teaching uh, out there? Some of you do. Yeah, I see a few hands. So it's amazing to watch how, how people grow under a good teacher, a gifted teacher. Uh, some of you have been teaching maybe in the schools or in the church or in other contexts. Teachers are not just conveyors of information, are they? They really show the way. They embody the truth. And Jesus is the greatest example of this as the great teacher. And Jesus gave the church 
shepherds or pastors. That's sort of an interchangeable word in a lot of ways. Some of you are shepherds. I want to use that word this morning because it's a little broader in our context. Um, Some of you have this special ability to care for the flock, to protect the weak, to, to show compassion to the broken and the excluded. And Jesus was, again, the exemplar good shepherd. Um, And for the church to be mature and healthy, we must have the gift of shepherding functioning within us and among us. And he gave the church evangelists. There's a word that scares some people. Uh, Now, we are all called to share Jesus, to to plant seeds of the gospel, as as, uh, Pastor Jody shared. Um, But some people have this special gifting that allows them to talk to people about Jesus in a way that causes people to completely reorient their lives. Have you met people with this special gift of evangelism? Mm-hmm. Kath, you maybe have a little of that. Uh, I hope so. We hope so, yeah. But, but some people, I, I had a woman in our, one of our, our churches years ago who she couldn't go out of her house without drawing people to Jesus. It was just the weirdest, most wonderful gifting. Um, Jesus is the great evangelist. He came to seek and to save those who were lost, and the church can never be mature without evangelists, nor can it be without prophets. Next Sunday, First Covenant Lincoln's going to have a prophet among you in Pastor uh, Derek Gilliard. Um, you know, the prophetic gifting is often misunderstood today because we've got a lot of goofball images of prophets out there, some of them on television. Um, but Jesus has gifted the church with men and women who help us distinguish truth from falsehood, who call us to repentance, who champion for the oppressed, who call us to justice and holiness. You know, John the Baptist said Jesus was the greatest of all the prophets, calling people back to a right relationship with God, speaking truth to power. So Jesus gave the church teachers, shepherds, evangelists, and prophets, and he gave his church apostles. Now, what is an apostle? Is, is it even a thing anymore? You know, apostles are women and men who are gifted by God to expand Jesus' work to new territories, to take new ground for the kingdom of God, to draw new populations and new generations into the life with God. You know, an apostle is one with the ability to see the opportunities where God is opening doors and then also equip people to step out in faith. The Greek word uh, apostello, which is a simple word that means ambassador or a messenger or an envoy, it's one with authority sent to carry out the instructions of the commissioning agent. Commissioning agent, that's God. And my friends... Each and every one of us has been commissioned. You know, you, you spoke a little bit about the context of the book of Ephesians. I mean, this is how we live out our faith, mm-hmm. that we have been transformed because of the power of Christ's death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. The moment that we recognize our brokenness and we put our trust in the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we are transformed. But more than that, we're invited into a family, and then we're also sent. Hmm. 
You know, the apostle, speaking of apostles, the apostle John, in the very beginning of his gospel, says to those who believe in Jesus, to those who receive his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. Like, let's just start there for a moment. We're all invited to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And we're also invited to be about our father's business. The apostle Paul, who were one of his letters today, he also writes to a church in Corinth, and he reminds us that we are new creations, right? The old is gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God who is reconciling us to himself through Jesus. But it goes one step further and he says, he then therefore gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we are his ambassadors. It's that same word for the apostle. Have Mm, you ever thought about that? Mm. As people of faith, not only are our lives transformed, but then we're invited to be about the transformation of those who are far from God. Each and every one of us has unique gifts and passions, and we bring new opportunities into the church to be about the ministry of reconciliation. And this is one mission that we get to be a part of together, but it's expressed in so many different ways. Actually, a little bit before you started reading in verse 7, above that in verses 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul says, we are one body, one spirit, just as we are called to one hope. We are also of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all. But to each of us, a different gift Mm -hmm. of grace has been given. And this idea of it would be impossible to be all things to all people. Amen? Think about that burden. But God does the impossible as each and every one of us respond and say yes to the opportunities he has for us. Think about it this way. I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to ask you to reflect a little bit. What do you love? And what are you in particular good at? And thinking about what you love and what you're good at, what are the needs in your community that when you do what you love and what you're good at, what you're good at, all of a sudden, those needs can be met. This is the sweet spot of ministry. Mm-hmm. And every time, every community of faith is different and unique because it's made up of a unique group of people. With their passions and their gifts, there is a new opportunity to meet the needs of this world and share the hope of Christ. You know, Apostles are needed because they empower these new communities of faith. They share this good news. And it's why this New England native was willing to travel 1,700 miles. You know, I didn't know Pastor Jody was going to talk about Johnny Appleseed. That's actually the town, like three towns over from where I grew up. If you drive into Lemonster, Massachusetts, it still says, the home of Johnny Appleseed. (laughs) So why does this New England girl want to jump at the opportunity to start a new church it's crazy it is absolutely nuts but the thing is brian i know my passions Mm -hmm. and i know my gifts and i also see a great need 
I had the opportunity to serve in Soresco, Nebraska about seven years ago, and I fell in love with Lincoln. I mean, this is a college town, it is family friendly, there is a great economy, there is a cute historic uh, downtown area with amazing coffee, amen? Right. Anyone else experience Jesus in a good cup of coffee? Yep. Does that sound sacrilegious? A little bit, but that's Okay, right. okay, let's get back to the point. I mean, they've got bike paths. I mean, there's even a zoo here. All of these things are one of the, are the reasons why Lincoln is growing. And it's growing at a rate faster than the national average. Our city has about 284,000 people in it. And if you count the neighboring communities, there's actually 334,000 people in Lincoln. And we're growing at a rate of about greater than 1% a year. That means there are 3,000 people who are moving to this city, desiring community, building lives, and I would say also in need of God. Every year. Every single year. And there's another thing that I don't... Last year, I read this report that was very startling. It said for the first time in our nation's history since, well, we've been taking statistics like this, that the highest or the fastest religious affiliation, can you imagine, what do you think the fastest or the the greatest uh, and fastest growing religious affiliation is in our nation? None. You're right. No religious affiliation. So here we are, we have this growing city And we have this trend where people are leaving church. But another thing I found out that I had never really thought about before, have you ever heard the reality that uh, people come to faith before the age of 18? That's true. But what I never thought about was the fact that by age 25, people have set their pattern of religious practices. Mm. So whether they're going to church, whether they're prioritizing service and community, whether they're reading their Bibles, and these practices are cemented by the time people reach the age 35. And you think about our city, there is about, I read one report that said there's 166,000 people in Lincoln under the age of 35. Mm -hmm. There is a timely and needed response to invite people into communities of faith, invite them into the love of God. The question is, who's going to respond to these opportunities? Mm -hmm. You know, as Pastor uh, Cass said, between 1990 and 2015, Nebraska's population increased fairly significantly, while the church's affiliation, the the rate of affiliation to, to the Christian church actually decreased. I did another stat that um, in this region, you know, in five years, over 60% of the entire population will have been born after 1982, 1982, which is really alienating for us baby boomers because it's a much younger demographic that's coming. And, uh, but I think one of the reasons why the church has not been able to keep up with the population growth I think some of it has to do with this empty nest thing that I was talking about a little bit earlier. Because, tell me if this is true, because it's true in my life. We like it when our churches are calm, clean, and organized. Don't we? No. Maybe. Well, you're an apostle. You're weird. 
Um, but it is comfortable to worship with people we've known for a long time, with people who think like us and look somewhat like us and have somewhat of a similar background to us. It's easier for us, it's easier for me to hang around with people that are a lot like me. That's why, according to Alan Hirsch, the gifting in many churches in America looks like uh, this slide here. Can you see that? Where we have taken the five functions, the gifting that Jesus gave his church so that it could grow into the fullness of Christ, but we have emphasized different gifts because they're a little bit more comfortable gifts to use in our churches over time. And we're talking particularly about the teaching gift, which is an absolutely essential gift for the church and continues to be. And the shepherding gift, which is, you can't have a church without the good shepherding gifts that Jesus gave us. But the other gifting, you know, a lot of churches have a few people that might have evangelistic bents and, and gifting. And then there's that little small gift of prophetic ministry that isn't quite as common in most evangelical churches. And then you get to that apostolic gifting and it's like almost non-existent when you look at the majority of evangelical churches um, or other churches for that matter. We put this high value on teaching and shepherding, um, but what about that apostolic gifting why is that such a small and not even recognizable part of so many churches? I think it has something to do with the empty nesting instinct. Why would we want to mess up our nice, comfortable routine by giving birth to a new church? Like Cheryl and I have no interest in starting another family. <laughs> really. I mean, we have 10 grandkids. We don't need to even worry about that. But you have all those grandkids. You like well, yeah, them. I know, I know, I know. But I don't want them living with me forever. Okay. Like, you know, I've been, been there, done that, right? We like our nice, quiet, comfortable, controllable life. And I think it is very similar to what happens in churches when we get to a point where we're stable and comfortable and we've got enough money and we've got good leaders. Why rock the boat by starting to think about starting another church? Missiologist Sam Metcalf notes that... Um, Many churches quietly drive people with apostolic gifting out of their churches because they tend to disrupt things, <laughs> which is why most of our churches look like this. So I want to just say thank you. Thank you, Pastor Evan. Thank you, leaders of First Covenant Lincoln, for thinking about the whole gifting of God's church and our call to look beyond the 99 sheep to the lost sheep. Jesus has equipped his church with gifts that can change the world, and it looks like this. It's all the gifts being used. He invites us to live into all these gifts, to be churches that teach others by embodying the one who is the truth, to love as the good shepherd has loved us, to share the good news by telling others about Jesus, to continually call us to walk in holiness and justice with that prophetic gifting and to reproduce, bringing the good news of Jesus to new populations and new generations by planting those seeds in the apple that will grow to new expressions of the body of Christ. The church often needs new wineskins to contain the new work of God. 
And you know, Brian, I think we actually embrace the role of apostle more than we realize. Mm. We just call the apostle something else. We call the apostle missionaries. Yep. I mean, an apostle is a person of faith who is initiating a new ministry for the kingdom. They are often that first advocate in a new region or to a new people group. And the thing is, while we get to support missionaries half a world away, like the Delps in Ecuador, Mm -hmm. I'm the missionary who's right down the street. Amen. Amen. And like a missionary, I'm so grateful that I'm not in this alone. Why do I jump at the opportunity to move half a country away? Because I know that I'm going with the faithful men and women who have already been loving this city Mm. for generations. First Covenant said yes to what God was doing here in Lincoln in 1892. And Waverly, Bethlehem, first started ministering to their population in 1882. And Ceresco, that I had the privilege of serving at, they opened their doors to ministry in 1906. The young young church. The young church. That's right. The young church filled with men and women who were saying yes to their passions, what they they love, what they're good at, and saying yes to the community's needs, and something new began. Hmm. And it was a church. And Beacon Covenant is following in the footsteps of your faithful witness. And I can go forth with confidence, with the encouragement and the authority that our churches together have given me as I invite others to be a part of something new. And I want to just leave us with this. It was actually, I keep going a little further and further back in the passage, Mm -hmm. but I love what Paul says. And he reminds us, again, that the whole beauty of the gospel, it's shared through us, through the church. We are the vessels. Mm -hmm. And when we think about the task, it seems immeasurable. Now he who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, according to the power that is at work within Mm -hmm. us, Mm To him be the glory and in the church for Jesus Christ throughout the generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. I think we wanted to invite the worship team up. But can I pray for us as they come up? Let me pray for you. Oh, that works for me too. God, I thank you for your work, your faithfulness over time and for this new season. Thank you for Pastor Kath, Lord. We pray your Holy Spirit's full gifting upon her, the team which you are going to gather for the churches that will be partners and supporters of this new work, God. Would you surprise us all with the mighty power of your good news that might uh, bring many to new life in Jesus, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.